We are back in the book of 1 John. We're finishing 1 John this morning. And then we're going to go to, okay, what's next? What's after 1 John? 2 John. And so next week, we're, my, my message for next week is going to be postcards from John. Because 2 John and 3 John are just one short one-chapter books. And so we're doing postcards next week. And we're going to do 2 and 3 John next week. And then we'll do Jude. And then we're going to do a U-turn. And we're going to go all the way back to the Gospels and start the New Testament again. And so what we're looking at today in 1 John chapter 5 is evidences, evidences of being born again. There should be certain evidences in our lives if we're truly born again. And we're going to see six different evidences that should be in our lives if we're born again of God. If we're, and interesting, in this chapter, five times just in this chapter, it talks about being born of God. Born of God. Do you know that if you put a spiritual saving faith in Jesus Christ and you trust him to be your Savior and to be your Lord, you're born again. You're born into a whole other world. It's the world of the Spirit. You're born physically, and when you come to Christ, you're born spiritually. Jesus talked about this to a guy by the name of Nicodemus, John chapter 3, verse 5. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And then in John 3, 7, he also said to Nicodemus, don't be amazed that I said to you, you must be what? Born again. That happens at the moment of your salvation. And, 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 and as you're born into the spiritual world, the Holy Spirit works in your life and sanctifies you and starts working to cause certain things to be happening in your life that are evidences of being born again. Charles Colson, who was the right-hand man of Richard Nixon, got saved after the whole Watergate fiasco. And when he got saved, he wrote a book called Born Again. And in this Born Again book, he made a statement. Interesting, he was a, a high-fluting lawyer and everything, and he made a statement an illegal uh, kind of statement. He said, hey, if you're truly born again of God, then uh, there should be evidences in your life. And he was talking about legal evidences in a sense. And he said, and if you were arrested for being a Christian, here's a question. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That, that, that's a good question, isn't it? There should be evidence. Because what did Jesus say in Matthew seven twenty? You will know them by their, Matthew 7, 20, you'll know them by their fruits. There'll be evidences of our Christianity in our life. Now, does that mean we're going to be perfect? No. Good luck with that. That doesn't happen until heaven. But there will be certain changes in our lives. Because if any man is a Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And there's these fruits of God's working in our lives through this personal relationship with Christ that are evidences or fruits of the result of this abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. So I'm going to give you six of them today. Six evidences that will be in our lives if we're truly born again. And it's great scripture this morning. Rich this morning. But let's look at it. Ch- chapter 5, 1 John 5, verse 1. If you're there, say amen. Here we go. It says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, here it is, right here, is what? Born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the children born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and notice, observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not, what? Burdensome. So here's the first thing. The first thing is if if you're born of God, it says there in verse 1, we're going to love God, and not only love God, 
but we're going to keep his commandments. We're going to love God, love his children, and then it says we're going to keep his commandments. And it's interesting because those all go hand in hand. Loving God will go hand in hand with loving God's children, and then loving God and loving God's children will go hand in hand with keeping his commandments. Because all of his commandments are related towards loving God and loving his children, and then we'll keep his commandments. And notice, as we keep his commandments, his commandments are not what? Burdensome. You know why they're not burdensome? Because ultimately his commandments are, are not to burden us, they're to bless us. And when we keep his commandments, we're going to live the blessed life that God's called us to live. They're not burdensome, they're for our blessing. So first point is those who are born again will love God, will love his children, and they will keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, they're a blessing. Tony Evans put it, put it, put it this way, he said, hey, uh, it's, it, he says that duty driven by love is not burdensome. Our duty to keep God's commandments, if it's driven by love, won't be a burden to us. It'll be a blessing to us because we love the one that we're keeping the commandments for. Paul put it this way, 2 Corinthians 5, 9. He said this, he said that whether at home or absent, we, we make it our ambition to be pleasing to him. And that's what happens. When you're born of the Spirit and you're truly saved, all of a sudden what happens is keeping his commandments are not something, oh, God's raining on my parade again. He's restricting me. He's stopping me from doing things. No, no, no. The whole heart changes when you're born again and you start saying, no, I want to seek first God's kingdom and righteousness. And I want, I want to be this person that is pursuing holiness because my God is holy. And I want to keep his commandments. And our perspective on holiness changed because we realized our holiness will lead to happiness. Because that's what we were created for. We're, we're firing on all eight cylinders when we're living according to his commandments. And duty driven by love will not be burdensome. You know, moms, think about that. It's Mother's Day, right? Think about that. Think about some of the things you moms do for those kids or have done for those kids. I read just the other day. The average mom will change 10,000 diapers per kit. God bless you moms. And, but, but why do you do that? I mean, is, is it a, a total burden? Well, sometimes, yeah, it's a burden. I get it. But a lot of times it's not because you love that little one so much. You're going to, duty driven by love is not burdensome. It's something you want to do. We just had our second grandkid. Actually, I didn't have it. My daughter-in-law, Courtney, had it. And uh, Tate Thomas Hoppy, look at that little guy right there. And uh, he's only two weeks old. And as soon as he was born, Heidi already had it arranged. The second week after he was born, he said, uh, she's saying to me, see you later, alligator. I'm out of here. And all last week, she was up there taking care of Tate and changing diapers and trying to be the babysitter and everything else. And that's Heidi right there. And you know what? That, that week of changing diapers, that week of helping our David and Courtney, my son and daughter-in-law, that week of staying up late and doing this and that and, and giving them time off and stuff, do you think that was something that was a burden to Heidi? No, she'd still be up there right now if, if it was one for, for me. And I, she, she's like, yeah, I, just on the car right here, she said, there's going to be a lot more trips to Charlotte very soon. 
and I'm going to be batching it a lot. But that, that duty is driven by love. It's not a burden. The same thing happens when we're truly born again. It's, it's, it's our duty to keep God's commandments. It's driven by love. It's not a burden. It's a blessing. Amen? And the, the reciprocal part of that, too, is we start learning the more we keep his commandments, the more we live by his word, the more our life is right and blessed and rather than, instead of dead and cursed. And we choose blessing instead of cursing as we keep his commandments. So the first principle is you're going to love God if you're truly born again. And now you're going to love God, you're going to love his people, and you're going to keep his commandments, you're going to observe his commandments because, hey, his commandments are not burdensome, they're for our blessing, Right? And then it goes on. I like these verses. It's good stuff. It says, verse 4. These are my kind of verses, by the way. I resonate with these verses. It says, verse 4, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What? Our faith. And the one who is, and this is, who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Second evidence of being born again, is you're going to start overcoming the world. Three times in those two verses, he uses the word, word overcome. It's an interesting Greek word. The Greek word is nikeo. Guess what company got their name from this Greek word? Can you say Nike? Just do it. Right? But Nike, the word nikeo in the Greek Nike got their name for their sports company for that, but the word Nike means this. It means to conquer. It means to prevail. It means to get the victory. And that's basically the second evidence of being born again, is you're going to start getting the victory. You're going to start prevailing against the world. What's the world? We learned back in 1 John 2.15 what the world is. In 1 John 2.15, we're told that the world is, is filled with lust. It says, don't love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, what? What's the world? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of the life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And what we're told in these next couple of verses is if you're born again, you start overcoming that. You start overcoming the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. You start living in victory rather than being a victim to the evil one whose goal is to keep you in the world. And you start becoming an overcomer. Interesting, it says in 1, John, or 1 Corinthians 15, 57, great verses, but thanks be to God who gives us the what? Same word again. Nikeo, the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's the key right there. It's through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so it says, if we're going to have victory, the key to our victory is our faith. Our faith in Jesus Christ, that abiding relationship, gives us the ability to start becoming a victor rather than a victim. And we start becoming Nikeal, conquerors, those that prevail against these lustly things in this world because we're not conformed to this world anymore. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. We prove the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Amen? And I love Romans 8. really reverberates with this, my spirit on this too because it says in Romans 8.37, but in all these things, notice what it says, 8.37, in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him 
who loved us. Now, interesting, overwhelmingly conquer there. Same Greek word, nikio. But it's, it's hyper nikio. You know what that means? Literally translated, through Jesus Christ, we could be hyper nikio. That doesn't mean we're hyperactive, had too much Red Bull. Oh, no, that's not what it's saying. It's saying hyper, super conquerors through Christ who loved us. We don't just conquer through our faith in Christ. We start becoming super conquerors. We should all get Superman shirts. Big S's. We are super conquerors through Christ and our faith in Jesus Christ. And I remember that when I first got saved, when I first came to Christ 40 years ago, I had tried everything to change. As a teenager, man, I was tired of living a defeated life, and I, try, I, I was reading books about PMA. Remember PMA? Positive mental attitude. Just got if whatever the mind could believe, it can achieve. And I, I, started, I started trying to change my whole thing because I wanted to be successful. I wanted to be a good person. I wanted to do the right thing, and I couldn't do it. I tried to change. I tried everything. This is 70s. I'm dating myself. But I tried, I tried PMA. I tried the power of positive thinking. I tried yoga. Remember yoga? I, tried, I, tried, I, I could never get into that pose with the legs anyways. But I tried transcendental meditation. I tried everything to change. Guess what? Nothing worked until I came to Jesus. And then when I came to Jesus, I changed. I stopped the, stopped the immorality. I stopped the drunkenness. I stopped the crazy stuff I was into, the lying, the deception, the bad lifestyle. And I didn't stop it. Jesus stopped it. Because the way I overcame was through my faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you abide in him, he'll abide in you. And he'll produce much fruit. But apart from me, you could do nothing. But we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And again, 1 John 4, 4, we learn greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world, right? We don't have to be victims anymore. Our faith helps us overcome the world. Now, does that mean we're perfect? No, you'll never be perfect. Just read Romans 7. You know, the things we don't want to do, we still do at times, but we start winning instead of losing all the time. We start running the race in such a way that we win and not lose. We overcome. We could start becoming hyper Nikeos, those that are become super conquerors through our faith in Jesus Christ. That's the second evidence of coming to Christ. He changes our lives. And then it goes on. The interesting scripture now, verse 6 says, this is the one who came by water and blood. Now, most scholars believe the water that's being talked about here is the baptism of Jesus. Jesus came, started his public ministry by water. The, the heavens opened, the spirit descended, and he was declared, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. He came by water. And then it says, and he also came by blood. What's that referring to? The cross. The cross. So he began his public ministry with baptism. He ended his public ministry with the blood, with, with the cross of the three years of public ministry. Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with, or, but with the water and with the blood, with the cross. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. Now, a part of the reason why he's emphasizing the water and the blood is there's a false teaching that was coming into the church, a guy by the name of Serinthius. What he was saying is that Jesus Christ, before the cross, 
the divinity of Jesus Christ went back to heaven, this false teacher said, because God in the flesh wouldn't go through the cross and the curse of the cross. But that's total false teaching because that's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to just to die for the unjust in order to bring us to God. Jesus came and stayed in his divinity on the cross because God had to die for our sins and be the atoning work for our sins on the cross. So this is a false teaching he's addressing. He came by the water, baptism, and he came by the blood, the cross. His divinity didn't leave him at the cross. Serinthius was wrong, is what, what he's saying. And it's the spirit who bears witness because the spirit is the truth. For there are three that bear witness, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. Now that's interesting because what it's saying there is part of the testimony of the validity of Jesus Christ is the spirit. God's spirit bears witness to our spirit that we're children of God. The job of the spirit is to exalt Jesus and to verify who he is. And a part of us getting saved and born again is the spirit will do that work in all of our lives, verifying that Jesus is the Christ. No man comes to Christ apart from the Spirit testifying to that man. You can only say Jesus is Lord by the Spirit of God, right? Amen. The Spirit has come to convict us of sin, righteousness, and the judgment to come. The job of the Spirit is to testify to us about Jesus Christ. But also, the, the water testifies about Jesus Christ. The baptism of Jesus, when the heavens open, and God declared from heaven, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. That baptism verified to John the Baptist and to his disciples, this is the Messiah, but also the blood testifies to Jesus who he is. Because when he was dying on the cross, the earthquake happened as he was dying on the cross, and then it went black from noon to 3 p.m. The lights turned off. Middle of the day, it went totally pitch black, and then the curtain was torn from the top to the bottom in the temple that all verified the blood, the crucifixion verified who Jesus Christ was. Actually, the Gospel of Matthew said tombs were open, and because of the power of what he's doing on the cross there, people were resurrected, and dead bodies were walking, night of the living, dead scene. Can you imagine? All verifying that this is the Christ. And then remember that centurion cried out, truly, truly, this was the Son of God. By the way, little side point there. The greatest story ever told, one of the first movies in Hollywood made about Jesus Christ and his life and his death and everything else. The, the guy that says, truly, this was the Son of God, the centurion, the soldier, he was a, just had a, one little part in that movie. It was a guy by the name of John Wayne. And he's the one in that movie that said, truly, this was the Son of God. And that verifies, the cross verified truly this was the Son of God. Amen? Amen? And then it goes on. If we receive the witness of men, verse 9, the witness of God is greater. For the witness of God is this, that he who is born witness concerning the Son. Here's what he's just simply saying there. Hey, we receive the witness of men all the time. We, I mean, if, if the weatherman says it's going to rain, we get our raincoats, Right? We receive the witness of men all the time, even though the weatherman half the time is wrong. Only job I know that you could be wrong 50% of the time and still have your job. But we still receive the witness of men. We receive the witness of men, how much more should we receive the witness of the Spirit and the blood and the baptism of Jesus is what he's saying there. How much more should we receive that witness? And the one who believes, verse 10, in the Son of God has the witness in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the witness 
that God is born concerning his son. And here it is, great verses. And the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life. This life is in his son. He who has the son, what? Got the son, you got the life. He who does not have the son of God, what? Does not have the life. Verse 13, but these things, great verse, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may, what? No, look at that, you can underline that word, no. That you may know that you have, what? Eternal life. Well, here's the third thing. Third evidence of being born again is you're gonna have an assurance of eternal life. You're going to have assurance in your heart that you know, that you know, that you know you're going to heaven. Because the one who has a son, you got it. You have the life. He who does not have the son doesn't have the life. But if you got Jesus and you have a personal abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, you know, you know that you have eternal life. Part of that is the spirit again. It's the spirit of God testifying to your spirit that you're a child of God. And you don't have that spirit of slavery leading to fear, but a spirit of sonship. And it verifies to your spirit that you're a child of God. And you know what? That assurance of eternal life is a good thing because it starts the moment you're saved. Interesting. Eternal life doesn't start when you die and go to heaven. Eternal life, life starts the moment that you're saved. Actually, it says that you have life or have eternal life. It's in the present tense. And what it's saying is it starts the moment you have Jesus you start eternal life. And it's interesting because it's not about a quantity, it's about a quality. And the moment you have this real relationship with Jesus, you have this quality of life where you're actually tasting heaven here on earth through that relationship with Jesus. Eternal life starts when you come to know Jesus because if you have the son, you have the life. You know, I love doing evangelism. Personal evangelism is fun. It's just fun sharing Christ with people and praying with them to receive Christ, and I, I try to do it often. And w- one of the first things I do when I do personal evangelism, I ask them this question. If you were to die today, would you know for certain that you go to heaven, that you have eternal life? If you died today, would you know that you're going to heaven right now? And a lot of people, a lot of people say no. You know, a part of that is because religion in the world today wants to keep people in fear, to keep them in their religion and so they want to keep people in fear. Well, you can't really know. You can't really know. You just got to be a good person. You got to keep doing the right thing. Then you'll go to heaven. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the moment you put a saving faith in Jesus Christ, you're justified. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That happens the moment you're saved. Start eternal life right there. And so one of the things I try to, when sharing Christ, is share with them this assurance that you can have. And I share this verse right here. These things, after I asked them, do, do you know that you have eternal life? Right now, I share, well, the Bible says you can know. Because 1 John 5, 13 says these things have been written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you may know that you have eternal life. And that's one of the gifts that we have as those that are born again. We know. We know that if we were to die right now, absent from the body, Present with the Lord. Christ in us, hope of glory. As Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And it's important in our culture right now to know. You know, I, uh, 
Pray for the Stetsons, John and Chris Stetson, wonderful couple. They've been coming here for years. And um, I'm going to be probably helping with Chris's funeral in the next week or two. And uh, she got COVID two weeks ago. Lord took her home. In two weeks, this, this life is a vapor, amen? And it's good to know that if something happens to each one of us, if we know Christ and we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, absent from the body, present with the Lord. You know, Christ in us, hope of glory. Hey, and the good news about that too, it's just going to get better. The best is yet to come as Christians. Christ in us, we, we're going to paradise. And you know what? Pray for the Stetsons. Pray for John, especially. This thing happens so fast. But I talked to him yesterday. And yeah, he was crying on the phone a little bit and stuff. But at the same time, I could sense in his voice, he knows exactly where his wife is at right now. She's with Jesus. And he knew that. And he had a confidence of that. Because he's born again. And he knows that just as he has the son, his wife had the son, and she's got eternal life because of that. Amen? Amen. So another evidence is we have this confidence. And one of the parts of my job that's tough is I've seen a lot of death. I've been at bedsides. I've been in the hospital. I've seen people die. And, but one of the great things about my job is if they know Christ, I've seen the difference of people that die with Christ and those that don't die with Christ. Those that die with Christ, there's a peace. There's an assurance. There's a faith. That, yeah, this is tough, We're going through the death, and physical death, it's not easy. It wasn't supposed to be a part of our existence. We were supposed to live forever. Eternity has been set in our hearts. But the, I've seen the difference that an assurance of eternal life has in those as they face that. Because they have this faith that they know, they know that they have eternal life. It's a gift from God. Amen? So let's go on with our scripture. These things have been written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. Now look at verse 14. And this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, what? He hears us. And if we know that he hears us, and whatever we ask, we know that we have what? The request which we've asked from him. Here's the fourth evidence that you're saved. You have a confidence that God is going to answer your prayers. And there's a caveat there. The caveat is, yes, you can have confidence that God is going to answer your prayers, but you need need to know God will only answer your prayers if it's according to his will. And when you come to Christ, your whole orientation changes in life as you're born of the Spirit. You're, You're not praying for your will anyways, because you're going with what Jesus said, that, Father, not my will be done, but what? Your will be done. And you're praying prayers like the Lord's Prayer that says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the caveat is, yeah, God's, God, you see that red Porsche going on the street, in Jesus' name, God, give me that Porsche. Maybe not. But if you pray according to God's will, he will hear those prayers, and he'll answer those prayers. And it's wonderful, because you can have a confidence. It says, we can have a confidence in this, that, he, that as we come to God and we ask these things of God, he not only hears our prayers, but our prayers will be answered. What did Jesus say? Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. And James put it this way. He said, sometimes we have not because we ask not, right? But if we ask, we can have confidence that God, heaven hears. 
And there's a whole other level of heaven hearing if you're born again. Yes, God still hears the prayers of those that are lost because, hey, none of us would have gotten saved if God didn't hear our prayers. That's how we got saved, is we prayed a sinner's prayer. God heard those prayers and saved us. But there's another level of answered prayers for those that know God and are born again. Because James 5.16 says, the prayers of a righteous man are what? Powerful and effective. They availeth much. It's kind of the difference between someone just kid off the street asking you for something, and if that kid on the street was your son or your daughter. There's a power in the prayers of people that know Christ. There's a power in, in, in heaven hearing. And I love those verses because we can have confidence we have before that if ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the request we've asked from him. But again, the caveat is we've got to be according to God's will. And I look back on my last 40 years of walking with the Lord, and there's sometimes, man, I was praying for things, and I'm sure glad that God didn't answer those prayers. Because I thought it was God's will. But I look back, 2020 hindsight, it sure wasn't. The two girls that I was dating before, Heidi, I thought, both those girls, both, both times, this is it. And all my other friends were dropping like flies and getting married. I go, this must be it. And I get into my mid-20s, and it wasn't it. And I, both, bam, bam, the, the two years before uh, meeting Heidi, the second year, I, th- I thought, this is done, done deal. This, this is the girl. She's on fire Christian. She loves Jesus. I, I, this is it. And we broke up. Then I met another girl. And she, she, yeah, this is it. This is it. And by the end of the summer, it wasn't it. And then I met Heidi, and that was it. That was it. It was done deal. But I wonder, what happened with those other two? They were on fire. They loved Jesus. What happened? I prayed earnestly, too. And it, God didn't answer my prayers. You know what happened the next few years? Heidi went on, and I went on to plant churches. And those two girls, both those girls, and it breaks my heart because they love Jesus. They got into marriages, and both of them went through divorces. Because there were some things that were problems. And I don't even know what even the problems were. But I look back on that. I'm going, wow. I'm glad that wasn't it. Because maybe some of those relational issues could have come in our marriage. And it could have derailed me from ministry. We ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know that we have the things we've asked of him. And it's important to realize that prayer is not about getting our will done. Prayer is about getting God's will done. And one of the wonderful things about being born again is we start delighting ourselves in the Lord and he gives us the desires of our heart. You know why? Because the desires, as we delight in the Lord, the desires of our heart are according to his will. And then as we pray according to his will, he hears us. And those prayers will be answered because it's according to his will. Does that make sense? All right, let's go on now. This is some tough scripture right here, verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will for him give life to those who commit sin, not leading to death. And there's a sin leading to death. I don't say that he should make requests for this. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. What in the world is that all about? What it's about is the next point about being born again is God is going to hold 
Christians that are born again accountable for their sin. And how's he going to hold them accountable? Well, it gets back to when it says a sin. A sin, not a great translation because what it's, it's actually plural in the Greek. And what it's saying is, is if there's a multiplicity of sin in a believer's life and it stays that way, sometimes that sin, that multiplicity of sin will lead to death. What does he mean by that? I think he means physical death. 1 Corinthians 11.30 says that, that this is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have, notice what, died. What was happening in Corinth was Christians were coming to the communion table, and they were getting all the food first, so there wasn't enough for others that were in the end of the line. And not only that, some of these believers were coming to the communion table drunk. Can you imagine they were, they were, they were like drunk and then oh, communion. And God took them out for that. It's a sin that led to death in some of the Corinthians' lives. We see the classic example of that, the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira, what they were trying to do is when Barnabas got all this acclaim for donating land to the New Testament church, this Ananias and Sapphira, they, 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 they tried to get the same acclaim and status as Barnabas. And so what they did is they sold their land. They said, we've sold Everything. And they only sold a, a portion of it and only gave a portion of what, was for, what they sold or whatever to the apostles. And they pretended like they gave everything. And God wiped them both out, let them both die. Now, don't worry. If you don't give your whole tithe, I'm not going to pray that God wipes. No, that's a part of that, by the way, was the New Testament church was just getting formed. And God didn't want hypocrisy in the New Testament church. God wanted to have purity in the New Testament church, and that sin led to death because the hypocrisy was bringing it into the church. And so here's what it's saying. It's saying, yeah, there's grace in Jesus. We all make mistakes. The righteous man falls seven times and rises again. But what it's saying is if you as a Christian, you stay in sin, you have a multiplicity of sin, and you don't repent, hey, if you stay in that sin, it gets to the point where God might say, hey, you're, you're stumbling too many people by your multiplicity of sin. You're, you're derailing the cause of Christ, and he might take you out. That's what it's saying. When I was in seminary, my last year was coming up, and I had, flew back to Chicago to be with my parents. I was going to seminary in California. And so during the summer, before my last year of seminary, I went to uh, Trinity uh, Seminary in, in uh, Chicago. I had the great Bible commentator, D.A. Carson, for my professor for the New Testament survey. We went through the entire New Testament that summer. It's awesome. I mean, he just flew Matthew to Revelation the whole, within the whole summer. And when we got to this scripture, I'll never forget, because this is, you know, 35 years ago, but he got to this scripture in 1 John talking about the sin that leads to death. And he shared about, as a young pastor, he was right out of seminary, he's from Canada, and he was an EV free pastor, and he was only 20-something years old, and he got placed in this EV free church in Canada. And he got there. EB Free is a, like Calvary Chapel. It's expository. It's Bible teaching. It's evangelical. But the church he was placed in as a 24-year-old pastor had, had elders, and three of the elders were a mess. And it was like a blind date. He didn't know it before he got put in this church, but he got there, and three of these elders were professing Christ. They were professing Christians. They were leaders in his church. He was the pastor of. And one elder was having an affair, Another elder was a closet alcoholic. He was drinking uh, obsessively every night. 
And another elder had a business right in the town where the church was at, and he was ripping people off in his business. And so what D.A. Carson, as a 24-year-old pastor, did was he just started praying. And he said, I, I didn't want to confront those things. I was brand new. They'd probably fire me if I did. So he said, I just started praying. And I prayed for six months. And he said, within those six months, I did funerals for all three of those guys. I buried all three of these guys. Because they were sins that were multiplicity of sins. And they didn't repent of them. And they stayed in it. And they were spiritual leaders in the church professing the name of Christ. And so God gave them a whole new elder board. Because there are certain things we could do as Christians that God will hold us accountable for, and he'll take us home. Now, question, are Ananias and Sapphira in hell? I don't think so. I I think that God probably took them home because they were bringing hypocrisy into the New Testament church. But church, understand, God will hold us accountable as believers in Jesus Christ if we get backslidden and we stay backslidden and we don't repent. That's why we told him in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he will be faithful and just. He'll forgive us our sins and then cleanse us from all righteousness and let's get on with it then and repent. Okay, let's close up our book now. Verse 18. It says, we know that no one who is born of God sins. The word sins there, multiplicity of sin, practice sins, stays in sins. But, but he who is born of God keeps him. And the evil one, I love this, the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world, the whole world what? Look at that. Lies in the power of the evil one, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding in order that we might know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. And notice how he closes the book. Little children, his spiritual children, those that he begotten Christ, little children, what? Guard yourself. From idols. Now, the last principle I'm going to give you for those evidence of those that are born again is if you're born again, you're going to have a supernatural protection from God. It's a gift. It says, Those who are born again, verse 18 again, God keeps them, and the evil one doesn't touch them. Now, the word touch there in the Greek, it's cling to, it's fastened to. It means to could literally destroy. If God be for us, who can be against us? Greater is he who is in us than he that's in the world. The devil can't touch us. He can't fasten to us. He can't cling to us. He can't destroy us. And that's the devil's goal, by the way. He's come to kill, steal, and destroy. His mission statement is that. He's like a, a roaring lion prowling around seeking for people to devour. And he's doing a pretty doggone good job in our world today, isn't he? But the good news is the devil can't touch us because Jesus is in us. Don't let any Christian ever tell you that the devil can possess you as a Christian. He can oppress you, he can tempt you, he can entice you, but the Holy Spirit doesn't have roommates. The Holy Spirit is in you, greater is in, he is in you than he is in the world. He can't touch you. And I think we way too much give him too much power and authority in our lives. Hey, we are not victims of the devil anymore. We were before Christ, 
But now the devil can't touch us. He can't cling to us. He can't possess us. He can't have his way with us because we have Christ, and Christ is in us, and we have the Holy Spirit. That's what it's saying right there. It's a wonderful promise. The devil can't touch us. But don't diminish the devil either because it says the whole world, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, right? We don't want to give the devil too much credit or authority because we are followers of Christ and we have the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. But we don't want to diminish the devil either. He's, he's the God of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. And that's why the very last verse says, believers, guard yourself from idols. What's that mean? Don't let anything get your heart more than Jesus. That's what idols are. We le- we're learning that on, on Ten Commandments the last couple weeks, right? Don't let anything get... have more passion in your heart than your passion for Jesus Christ. Guard yourself from idols because the way the devil works is you give him an inch and he takes a mile. And if things start becoming more important in your heart than Jesus Christ, it's gonna bam, bam, like dominoes. Bam, 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 like that. Next thing you know, you're backslidden and you're far from God because you didn't guard your heart from idols. I've been taking up boxing lately. I'm actually part of my workout now is I go lift some weights, do some jump ropes, and I actually do boxing. And the guy that's helped me with boxing, he's got mitts. And he says, okay, jab, jab, hook, hook, jab, jab, hook, hook. And it's, we do like four minute, uh, we do like four three minute rounds and I'm just wiped out afterwards. My shoulder hurts for days. But it's great, boxing's great. And one of the things that I'm being taught is, is yeah, it's good to box and jab, jab, but after you jab, you got to put the hands back up. Because of boxing, if you don't put the hands back up, guess what's going to happen if you're really boxing? You're going to get sucker punched. And here's the deal. When he says, guard your lies from idols, what he's saying is, keep the hands up spiritually. He who thinks he's, he, he stands, take heed lest he fall. Keep your guard up. Because if you don't keep your guard up with the devil, you don't guard your heart from passions that are more important than Jesus all of a sudden, man, he's going to come in, your hands are down, sucker punch, right? And I don't know about you, I don't like getting sucker punched. And the devil's goal is to get your guard down, not keep pressing on to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, not keeping yourself in those spiritual disciplines, not keeping yourself in the word of God, not keeping yourself in church, not keeping yourself in fellowship, and all of a sudden, ooh, the hands start going down, and the devil comes in, sucker punch. Don't go there. Guard yourselves from idols. Stick with the spiritual disciplines. Stay in God's presence. Be people that are realizing that the victory is not in your flesh, not in your, your you know, resolutions, not in your positive attitude. It, the victory is found in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The victory is found in Jesus and sticking with that passion for Jesus. Be on fire for Christ. What do we learn in Revelation? We're not supposed to be lukewarm Christians. We're to either be hot or cold. In my preference, I want to be hot. I want to be on fire for Christ because that fire for Christ is what guards my life from idols. Amen? Good, good scripture this morning. Let's, let's review real quick. Number one, what's the first evidence of being born again? You're going to love God, love his children, and what? Keep his commandments. Number two, those who are born again will overcome 
the world. You're going to be conquerors, not conquered. You're going to be victors, not victims. You're going to have the victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, those who are born again will have an assurance of what? Eternal life. If you have the Son, you have the life. We know that we have eternal life through our relationship with Christ. Number four, those who are born again will have a confidence that God will answer your prayers. If you pray according to his will, he hears us, and we know that we have the things we asked of him. Number five, those who are born again will be held accountable if they what? Stay in sin. Better repent. Best thing is confess, repent, and get on with it, living for Christ. And number six, very important, those who are born again will have a supernatural protection from who? Praise God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word this morning. It's rich. It's true. We don't live by, by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth, God. Thank you that your word equips us in righteousness, Lord. Thank you, God, too, that you've rescued us from this world and you've changed our lives, and we're born of your spirit now, God, if we trust in Christ. And Lord, help us to have these evidences just flowing out of our lives. Help us to be people that love you, love your children, God, and keep your commandments. Help us to be people that overcome the world because of the power of the spirit working in us and through us. Help us not to be victims. Help us to be victors through our faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, help us, too, to be people that have this assurance that we know, because we have Christ, We know that we have eternal life, Lord. Help us to live with that confidence and our our assurance of eternal life through our faith in Christ. Help us to be people, too, that know that when we pray, God, as we walk with you, Lord, as when we pray according to your will, you hear us, Lord. And as we ask, we receive. As we seek, we're going to find. As we knock, the doors will be open. Lord, help us to be more and more people that pray, that depend on you through prayer, Lord. And seek your face and seek your will through prayer. Help us to be people, too, that take sin seriously, Lord. We we, we know, Lord, that there's things that we stay in, that, that there's accountability for that, Lord. Help us not to stay in sin. Help us to repent of sin and confess it and get on with living for you, Lord. And, Lord, I pray, too, that we'd be people that realize that you're with us, you're for us, and the devil can't cling destroy or victimize us anymore because he can't touch us because of the power of the Spirit and your protection upon our lives. We thank you, God, that your word even says you've given angels charge concerning us to guard us in all our ways. Lord, help us to be wise in this, though, too. Help us to realize that the whole world's under the grip of the evil one and help us to guard our lives from idols. Lord, just keep the passion alive in us, Lord. Help us to be people that stay on fire for Christ, that don't just get saved and on fire for a season. Help us to be people that stay on fire for Christ so that will guard our lives from the idols that are all around us. Again, Father, we pray for moms. Thank you for all the moms represented here today. Thank you for the difference they're making. Help them to be world changers by the next generation they're raising up, Lord. Help all of us as parents too, Lord, to set the example of people that love God, keep your commandments, and seek first your kingdom and your righteousness so you can add all things unto us, Lord. Thank you for another time that we could worship you and hear from your word, Lord. 
Help us now to live it this week. And bless all the moms today, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen.